Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Catherine Morehouse. If Wednesday's Republican presidential debate was any indication, energy and climate change are going to be front and center the next 15 months of campaigning for 2024. And the GOP candidates gave us a wide range of attacks and talking points. Outright climate change denial, criticisms of clean energy subsidies, and that President Joe Biden's climate agenda is benefiting China. So today, I chat with Politico's Matt Daly and Alex Guillen about the takeaways of the debate, what the candidates got wrong, and how energy and climate change will play a role in the GOP primary moving forward. It's Friday, August 25th. I thought it was pretty interesting, actually, that the topic got brought up so early in the debate and got so much time, frankly. question came from some uh, young conservatives. Everybody started talking over each other, and it got pretty ugly. But I think that the real takeaway from it was that the Republican field doesn't really want to engage on this issue too deeply. I think it splits the Republican voters between young and old. And I think that it's one where they don't really see any upside to really engaging on it. What they really seem to want to do instead was turn it into an economic issue, turn it into a U.S. versus China issue. The idea that inflation is still kicking around to some degree, gasoline prices have been higher. They'd rather focus on those sort of pocketbook issues rather than on the bigger issues, even though we're seeing this summer wildfires everywhere. We're about to record the hottest year in Earth's recorded history here so far. And these issues are really becoming front and center for voters. Republicans seem to be acknowledging that, but their candidates don't really seem to be on the same page. Definitely. And Alex, as you noted in your reporting, there were actually a few factual errors in Republicans talking points that kind of stuck out to you. What did they get wrong? I think the most glaring factual error there was when Vivek Ramaswamy came out swinging and said that, quote, the climate change agenda is a hoax. You know, there's a lot of scientific evidence about climate change, mounds and mounds of it. So that is obviously incorrect. I also thought it was interesting, again, with Ramaswamy that He called for more oil and gas and other fuels. That's not factually incorrect per se, but it is worth noting that the U.S. is producing near or at record oil and gas right now, and we are the biggest producer of those fuels in the world. So the other factual error that really jumped out at me was from Senator Tim Scott, who said that the U.S. has cut its carbon footprint in half in the last 25 years. That's significantly off base. I pulled the numbers U.S. emissions are down overall 11, maybe 12 percent over the past 25 years. So a far cry from the 50 percent that he claimed. And we also know that the polls are saying that climate change is a growing concern for young GOP voters. So, Matt, could you speak to kind of who had the stance that may have resonated the best with that portion of the base? It's hard to tell exactly, but I think Nikki Haley sort of had the best plan for that, perhaps. She acknowledged climate change is real and then quickly changed the topic because the Republican platform and Republican candidates don't really have any great initiatives to deal with it. They're not even dealing with the effects of climate change, let alone the causes. So I think her pivot right into China and competitiveness and the fact that attacking Biden on the IRA spending which is in line we've seen from a number of Republicans in Congress, 
that this is just a boost for China. That's going to be one that really sticks around through the entire campaign. Now, I think that the Biden administration is also going to have a pretty good comeback to that by saying, by the way, we have seen $200 billion in new manufacturing based on these climate initiatives in our legislation. That's jobs coming back from China. That's building our own industry. So it's going to really be interesting to see how this plays out over the next 15 months to see which of these arguments really catches hold among the electorate. I thought the most interesting and probably the most creative argument was from Bergam, who uh, basically said the sanctions we put on Russia because it launched a war in Europe, those sanctions have driven down its oil prices. And that's actually helping China because they're buying all this cheap oil. And boy, wouldn't our farmers like to have some of that cheap energy as well. He sort of left the argument unfinished there. But the argument that perhaps maybe we shouldn't be sanctioning Russia for its war because that's helping China. It was a very creative argument. I'm not sure how much it stands up to scrutiny exactly. Yeah. And so we've talked a bit about how we saw a lot of the candidates attacking the president for his climate and energy policies. And Alex, you noted a few places where they may have been off base. But I'm wondering how we think that energy and climate change will play a role in the GOP primary moving forward beyond just attacking Biden or whether that will kind of continue to be the main talking point here. Yeah, I think there's sort of a mix that we're going to see. There's sort of the old Republican standbys of more oil, more gas, more coal. Vivek Ramaswamy called for more nuclear. That has a pretty spotty record recently. That's the kind of thing, it's an easy thing to quip out and voters love more energy, even though, you know, that's a very complicated thing in the real world. It's, it's easy to say on the campaign trail. But the other thing that I think we're really starting to see form up now is any effort to connect climate change and whatever Biden is doing on that to China. Matt mentioned Doug Burgum talked about this, but a number of other of the candidates referenced China in their responses on climate change, whether that ranged from Nikki Haley saying that China and India need to step up and do more on emissions reductions before the U.S. acts or other candidates arguing that whenever we're switching over these kind of things, it's economically helping China and tapping into concerns and criticisms of China among the right. You know, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of China talk when it comes to energy and environmental policy on the campaign trail. One interesting thing I think I would add to that as well is there are calls that the U.S. has been doing a lot. It's China and India that we really need to be putting pressure on. Well, I don't think we've seen a lot of support from the Republicans for John Kerry's efforts in China and India, where he's actually spent a lot of time, and he's really been pushing that. Now, obviously, the U.S. has limited leverage over those countries and their economic policies, particularly in China, but we don't really have any say over what India does either. To say that the U.S. hasn't been engaging with those countries, I think it's going to be a line that they return to, but I think that the action is actually taking place, and I think there's probably few people in the world that are better geared than John Kerry to try to push China to do that. Now, at the same time, I don't think anybody has a real great strategy for getting China to do what the U.S. wants at this point. So I think that that's going to be something that sticks around and will be a debate. I also think there's one other pretty key element here is really, I mean, the person who wasn't at the debate last night obviously was former President Donald Trump. I think there's a bit of an effort here, particularly on uh, Ramaswamy's part, to not get too far from those viewpoints, those stances that Trump has put out there so that you don't have major ideological differences. You don't stand really apart. I think some of those platform issues, I think there are a lot of Republicans who say, well, I hate Donald Trump, but I I really did think he was a good president because I liked his policies, which were a lot of conservative policies. I don't think you're going to see Republicans vary too far off of what he 
has put out there on this. That's why I think we saw that hoax language in particular. Also, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission needs to make several structural changes to bolster the agency's ability to handle an anticipated influx of work related to licensing small advanced nuclear reactors. That's what the Government Accountability Office said in a report shared with members of Congress in July and released publicly on Thursday. The analysis comes amid mounting pressure on the NRC from Congress to come up with a regulatory framework for advanced reactors that allows new facilities to be built and licensed relatively quickly, while avoiding potentially devastating safety consequences. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com power switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Normal Malakal is the podcast producer. Alex Keeney and Annie Reese edited the podcast this week. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. Before we go, Politico Energy is taking a short break. We'll be off next week, but we'll be back on Tuesday, September 5th, after Labor Day. I'm Catherine Morehouse, and talk soon. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron is working to responsibly meet rising energy demand across their U.S. operations, like at their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand.